This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. We're going to talk about church. Uh, that could be a... It could be a loaded topic. That could be a charged topic for a lot of people. Um, I have I have friends who, uh, believe it or not, have been uh, damaged. They've been hurt by the church. Been disenfranchised. Uh, I have other I have other friends who are largely disinterested because they have the sacred text. They like to interpret it the way that they interpret it. They don't need a body around them to do that, right? And sometimes people in the church, uh, um, we can get to the point where it's a spectator sport. Not to say that we're not passionate, because as sport fans go, we're pretty uh, passionate but we're sidelines, and the professionals do their thing, and we come and observe and leave, and that's church. Yes, charged topic, um, but an important topic, and we're going to look at it from the perspective of burger. I wonder, um, I really like this metaphor, but it's probably not the only one. As you're thinking of church and what church means to you and all these different layers of your past and history, um, this is going to be fun. This is not something we normally do, but on 9 a.m., House on the Rock, uh, we get together out in the foyer. We play this game called Cards About Humanity, and it's a, it's a fill-in-the-blank card game, and there are no wrong answers, and it's a lot of fun, and this is my commercial for you to show up and be a part of that at some point, right? They should. Okay, uh, so we're going we're gonna to do one of these. Uh, so you're going to have to turn to your neighbor, and you're actually going to have to open your mouth, and you're going to fill in the blank. The church is like blank. Fill in the blank. Church is like what? You're not talking to your neighbor. Come on. This is not the environment that we do this sort of thing in, right? I've heard some good responses. I heard buffet. Because now you're in like food mentality. Like burger. Potluck. You can't have it your way. It's not like Burger King. Okay. That's good. I've been, I've been thinking about this this week. Uh, there are many good metaphors. I thought of this one. Maybe you've heard this one before. The church is like a hospital, right? It's not, it's, it's not this gathering of sinless saints. It's broken people coming together to be healed. And that's why sometimes it's difficult to be with these broken people because we... We agitate, and uh, community is, is challenging. Yeah, it's like a hospital. Or maybe this one, church is like an army. Yeah, uh, onward Christian soldiers. We put on the full armor of Christ. We have an objective we're moving towards. Maybe that's not bad language. 
I heard this one in the first service. Uh, the church is like family. Oh, there's so much of this in the New Testament, right? We are uh, adopted into the family of Christ. We, we are co-heirs with Christ. That's, oh, that's good stuff. Family. Or uh, Peter puts it this way. We are together being built together into a, a spiritual house with Christ himself as the cornerstone. We're like Legos. I don't think Peter uses that analogy. But, you know, we're being built together into this thing. Together. Hmm. Or Paul in 1 Corinthians, he goes to the body. Right? Uh, we're biological. And we are, we are cells. We each have a specific function. Uh, you may be the spleen and thinking that no one really notices you over there. And what does a spleen do? But it's absolutely, apparently, necessary. Right? Because as soon as you don't have it, uh, you're in trouble. Yeah, this, this body functioning all together. That's almost as good of an analogy as this burger. <laughs> yeah? Yeah, thank you for your polite laughter. That's good. Yeah, uh, this is not as um, difficult to align with Scripture as one might think. In fact, you only have to change one little word to get this to work. Now you are the burger of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Okay, I changed a word there, but I, I actually didn't have to change a word. This, this is 2 Corinthians. He's, Paul says, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Oh, who, who likes uh, grilling out? Who likes that food? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, who likes it when your neighbors are grilling out? Right? And you're in the backyard and you're just minding your own business and then all of a sudden... <laughs> What is that? What is that? There's something good. And you don't have to think about it, right? You don't have to sit and process and like justify, like, what is the smell? Hmm, let me think about it. Is this good? No, it like enters in and like does something. I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I want to eat that. We are the pleasing aroma of Christ. Okay, so this is the metaphor we're working with, the church as burger. You with me? Excellent. Um, I've got three points, just like a real sermon. Just like a real sermon. I've got three points, and I'm going to give them to you all at once, okay? So if you have your notes, you're going to fill in the blanks. Here we go. One, two, three. The Jesus burger is hand-selected ingredients. It is complex flavors, mm, layered, nuanced, complex flavors, and it is good food. It's a metaphor. Don't take it too far. You're already saying, no, a burger is junk food. I wouldn't put that in my body, but it, it's food. It's good. You smell it. Oh, that's good. That's good. All right, so here's, here's how we're going to build the burger. Um, first point, hand-selected ingredients. For this metaphor to work, you have to realize you are a hand-selected ingredient. 
That's your identity. And so this would be a good place to kind of dig into this concept of identity. It's so foundational. Uh, this is vital because identity is coming from all over the place. And if we're not careful, we could be a composite of these different identities, right? Because we have parents that have told us certain things about ourselves. Uh, we have siblings. I thank God that I didn't have uh, siblings. I'm an only child, and, and therefore I was always perfect on a scale of me, and I had no one laying into me. Um, but no, we have, we, have, we have siblings. We have friends, right? Uh, we, we have a culture around us. We have uh, an identity as an American. We have a, a national identity. We have sitcoms and films and social media. Oh my word, what an influence this is. And they're all telling us something about who we are, who we should be, what we should attain to. How do you how do you parse that out? How do you how do you know who it is that you've been uh, made to be? It's a good question. You are a hand selected ingredient. Uh, you've been chosen. You've been picked out. Right? Um, and when, uh, when we come to this place where we can believe this and what God has to say about our identity, what uh, our designer has to say about our identity, it's, it's life-altering, yes? Our identity, uh, who, who we think we are, determines what we're able to do. And we're only able to give what we've received, right? Which I think is why we spend so much time building up the identity of children, yes? Uh, well, at least we should. Uh, when, have you ever, like, arm-wrestled a child? Because they're so weak, they can't do anything. They're great. You can just like... No, of course we don't do that, yes? If uh, you arm wrestle a child, it goes something like this, yes? You like, um, you set up, and you like, get your arm in there, and, you, and you're like, go. And you're like, oh, 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 and they beat you. They destroy you. And you're like, oh, how, how did you get so strong? Oh, my hand, I may not recover. And they're just like... Glowing, yeah, and they're like, let's do it again. Let's do it again. You're like, no, no, please. Or you look at their art, you're like, did you draw that? I cannot believe it. It's so good. We're gonna we're gonna put it on the fridge right now. We're gonna frame that thing. And they're just like, why do we do that? We create this strong identity out of which they can go out into the world and accomplish things. Hopefully, yes. Uh, 
It just so happens that as you're reading through the New Testament and you're reading uh, these, these epistles, these letters written to people spread out all over the Roman Empire, people just like us, right, who are not theologians, people who hold a nine-to-five, people who struggle to integrate faith and life, and people who don't have all the answers. Uh, these authors write to those people. And more often than not, they start those letters with an affirmation of identity. Uh, it's important that you know who you are. And then you learn how to live like that. Case in point, I've got, I've got, some, um, got some scripture here. This first one comes from 1 Peter 1, 1 through 5. So this is Peter talking to, well, he's talking to the temporary residents dispersed in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, all over the place. But he's also talking to us when he says, you are, you're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and set apart by the Spirit for obedience and for sprinkling with the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And you're being protected by God's power through faith, by a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Second uh, Peter puts it this way. He says, his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And by these, he's given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desires. Oh! What? Identity. Uh, this is Ephesians. Um, we're going to read a little bit from 1 and 2. I could live here. This is so good. Uh, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. For he chose us in him. Chose us in him before the foundation of the world. To be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself. According to his favor and will. To the praise of his glorious grace that he has favored us with in the beloved. We have redemption in him, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure. We've also received an inheritance in him, predestined according to the purpose of the one who works out everything in agreement with the decision of his will. Did, did you get that last little phrase? 
you are a hand-selected ingredient, uh, not uh, not uh, by whim or chance, but this is the choice of the one who works out everything in an agreement to the decision of his will. And he's made you pickle or bacon or mustard or avocado. Did you put that on a burger? You should. But of course we don't feel that way, right? We don't. We don't feel that way. It's hard to live in that way. Uh, we know we've got some baggage. We know we have rough edges. Uh, he admits it. He says, um, you were dead, man. You were a corpse. In your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of the world. Yeah, of course. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, he made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in trespasses. You're saved by grace. And together with Christ, he also raised us up and seated us in the heavens so that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You're saved by grace through faith. And this isn't from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his creation. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them. Oh, you are that new creation. You are really special. You are so strong, right? Did you draw that? You are really special. What happens when we believe that? You know, there's a word for it. There's a word for it in the church. We call it conversion. And we believe what God has said to be true all along. You believe it. It becomes your identity. And then you're able to live out of it. Mm. Uh, this is the way C.S. Lewis puts it. It's a little toothsome. Uh, so we got to chew on it a little bit. Uh, I love this. I love this. Uh, get this. Uh, he says, Why else were individuals created but that God loving all infinitely should love each differently? Do you, do you get this? God, the source of infinite love, can love each of us with that same infinitude. Infinity is not something you can divide up, right? All of it is centered on each of us, this hand-selected ingredient. And we can stop right there. That's... That's enough. Uh, but it's hard to live there. 
It's hard to see myself as that. It's hard to see my spouse as that. It's hard to see my neighbor through that lens because we're all broken people. We're resurrected corpses, Paul calls us. Uh, We get it wrong. Uh, We get it wrong like, I promise you, I didn't invent this image. Uh, We get it wrong like the mixed spaghetti. That was an actual thing. McDonald's at one point tried mixed spaghetti. Blah. Blah. And that's not even the worst. That's not even the worst. Check this one out. Uh, mixed spaghetti is bad, but it can't be as bad as McLobster. Oh what the what is that? McLobster. Or... Uh, I actually remember this one. You, you might as well. I think this was sometime in the 80s. They had a McDLT. You remember this? They are still, I'm sure, alive and well in landfills all over the place. It was this giant, I remember it like this. That was a little smaller. It was a giant styrofoam contraption that had your hot over here and had your cold over here and kept it separated. And then when, apparently when you got to your table, because that was like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got to your destination, you open this thing up, and oh, it's, oh, now it's so good. Um, apparently, we didn't, uh, we weren't concerned with styrofoam at that point. I, we like division, okay? I think we, I think this is a way we get it wrong in the church as well. We like division, uh, us and them, those we. Uh, they think differently than I think, and therefore we separate. We divvy, divvy up. Because it's safe. Because it's easy. It's also bland. It's tasteless. We're surrounded by people that think like us, look like, like us, agree with us. We like division. We like hierarchy as well. Uh, I'm not talking about structure. We need structure, for heaven's sakes. I'm so thankful that we have a pastor, someone who feels called and has prepared his life to minister to us, give us guidance. Like, structure is so good. We have people that come into the building and and clean it and get it ready for us, uh, open the doors and turn on the lights. We have structure. This is a good thing. Hierarchy, important, less important, Think back to that body metaphor, the heart, important. Kidneys, eh, we can get over it. Um, no, no, important. The smallest little thing, vital. What if we thought of ourselves that way? What if you thought of you that way? You were vital? The alternative cold. It's that kind of spectator thing that I can slip into if I'm not careful. I, I come in and I, I'm just here for the show and I sit down and entertain me. And if I like the songs, good. If I don't like the songs, ugh, did you like the songs? I don't know what they're singing. Eh. Entertainment. But you know from a good burger, right? Uh, they're not bland. They're not cold. They're hot. They're juicy. Has juicy ever been said from the platform? I don't know. Uh, uh, they, 
You can't eat a good burger while driving. Amen? Yeah, you got to stop and park somewhere because it's going to be all over your lap. It's running down your chin. It's messy. Complex flavors, this layering, this thing that we've been called into. It's messy, folks. Relationship. It's hard because we like division. We like hierarchy. It's not the call. So let's Let's actually dig into that passage I was just referring to, that 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul makes use of this metaphor of the body. The body. He puts it this way. He says, For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, and all our parts of the body, uh, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So the body is not one part, it's many. And if the foot should say, oh, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, well, in spite of it, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, oh, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, well, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the whole body were an eye, well, where would the hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? If you have notes, I've highlighted some text here, and we're going to actually fill them in. Uh, it says, But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted you just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, well, where would the body be? Oh, wait, I didn't go there. You didn't even see any of that. You should have said something. <laughs> but now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. Hmm. He continues, Now there are many parts, yet one body. And so the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But even more, those parts of the body that seem weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body that we think to be less honorable, we clothe these with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have a better presentation. And our presentable parts have no need of clothing. Instead, God has put the body together. It is a Jesus burger after all. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable so that there would be no division in the body. Get this, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. Uh, Paul is speaking to uh, to slaves and free, right? 
um, people that, that, that come from vastly different socioeconomic uh, um, uh, standpoints and, and uh, people that speak different languages, different cultures, different religious backgrounds. And it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. And he said, no, 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 no. Uh, bring all of that to the table. Bring all of that to the table. Uh, we need your individual flavors. We don't all in this mixture end up tasting like uh, uh, the same ingredient. How gross would that be? Yes? We need your texture. We need your flavor. But we need it together. That's the call. And he almost, he almost had it right. He just was a word off. The burger is good food. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, and what do we do with good food? You eat it. That's right. You eat it. The burger is made to be eaten, folks. It's made to be eaten. Consumed. Digested. The burger doesn't exist for its own benefit. Its own burgerness. It doesn't exist to glorify itself, make itself bigger, grander. Uh, it's meant to nourish, to feed someone else. It lives for the other. Yes? Because what if it didn't? Can you imagine the alternative? What would we call that? We, it's, it ceases to be food. It's, uh, I stole this from the interwebs. Uh, it's a dog chew toy. It's, it's an artificial burger. It's rubber. It's plastic. And I was, I was thinking, oh, what, would it, what would a church like this be like? Looks really pretty doesn't do much. What would, can you imagine a church that was only interested in its own preservation, only interested in its own safety, that lived in constant fear that someone was going to come and take its rights away, maybe persecute it for heaven's sakes? Can you imagine or a church that, again, is only interested in building itself and its representation. The mega burger, if you will. I, I can't imagine either of those things. What do we do to the burger? We put it on a grill. Yeah, you put it on a grill and the neighbors come running. Uh, you smell it. Uh, lofts over things, makes its way around the house. You, you're like, you're aware of its presence, and it's good. That goodness draws people in. Goodness doesn't need an argument. Yes? It's good. It's good. And this got me thinking about 
the early church, uh, what made that early church so, um, again, we'll stick with the metaphor, appetizing? Because this was a point of time where, you know, martyrdom is a real possibility. Uh, I wouldn't want to rock the boat. And those, uh, those people over there, I, um, they're really different. People saw, they uh, smelled this difference. They're drawn into it. And this early church is exploding, growing exponentially. What did that? What accomplished that? There's a brief picture. You're familiar with this passage uh, in Acts 2, where Luke says, Now all the believers were together, and they held all things in common. And they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. That's, uh, that's something else. Uh, uh, that's, that's a lifestyle uh, uh, that, that looks radically different from the culture around them. In fact, it sort of reminds me of this word church, right? It comes from, uh, the, the Greek word for that is ecclesia. Literally, it means the called out ones. There's this clear separation. Uh, there's this clear abandonment of social norms. They sold their possessions. What? They gave it away? What? That's not what we're about. And yet, clearly, something had gotten a hold of these people and radically changed them. As I was, I was thinking about that question this week, uh, I was drawn back to that passage we just worked through in 1 Corinthians 12, that picture of the body, and how challenging that is to live out that reality. And, um, and then it occurred to me, uh, what follows 1 Corinthians 12? And you would say that the next chapter is 13. Yeah, that's good math. It's good math skills there. Uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians 12 is followed by 1 Corinthians 13, and it is this beautiful poem of love. It's love. What made the early church so appetizing is love. Um, God is love. Uh, his presence makes, uh, makes this a possibility, right? And uh, we will be known as his disciples by love. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak human or angelic languages, but I don't have love, I'm, I'm just a sounding gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. I'm noise. I'm nothing. 
if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, wouldn't that be something? But I don't have love. I'm nothing. If I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Here it is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not conceited. Does not act improperly. Is not selfish. Is not provoked. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Talk about, talk about something that's um, completely countercultural, right? Uh, yeah, uh, our culture has appropriated this word. We use love all the time, and by it we mean, oh, it gives me like warm, fuzzy feelings. I love those drapes. Mm. I love that couch. Yeah, it makes me feel good. I love it. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Oh, and what if we actually lived like that? Yeah, what if, what if that was the aroma of this body, of this church, of our gatherings, of our coming together, of our treatment of one another, uh, of our acceptance of people who are on the periphery, right? They, they felt this love. Um, our identity as saved by grace, as animated corpses. Yeah, what if, what if that actually started to creep out into the world around us? <laughs> I, think, I think people would smell it, right? I think people would be drawn towards it. It's also a picture of Christ. God is love. I think, I think uh, <laughs> and you might agree, yes? Humanly speaking, this thing is not happening. Uh, this, this is not an image of me. Bears all things, hopes all things. I, I am incapable of this unless animated by the Spirit unless it's the spirit who works in us and through us. Um, it's a picture of Christ. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 also points us in that direction. It says, oops, nope, says this. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus. He's our model. Here's what you look to. You want to know if you're doing it right? He came as a model. who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave and taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself. And he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
I, I, love, I love that phrase, uh, he emptied himself. And if anyone had anything to empty, of course, Christ, right? Uh, eternally existent in glory, infinite, omnipotent, Christ empties himself. The word is uh, kenosis. That's, that's what it is in Greek. It literally means like self-emptying. He, he empties himself out. Empties. Empties. Uh, and yet I struggle with this. And what in the world do I have to empty? I am so nothing. And yet oh, I struggle here. 1 Corinthians 13 ends with, with these words. It says, Now these three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Um, so here's my question. Uh, this world around us is, is hungry Right? I, think, I think this world is starving for love. For this divine presence. Uh, for, uh, for whom? In relationship. We were made. We were made for that relationship. We were made to dwell in him. Uh, we were made to know that kind of love. So, so the question is, uh, is the world going to find it here? Are we that aroma? Are we willing to live this thing out, to let it shape us together? And in order for that to take place, we need, we need you, <laughs> right? We need all of us because we are all vital to this burger. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today, and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can. Again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.